talking about running from God. And we've kind of decided at this point in our series in Jonah that we all run from God. We run from God when we're disappointed or mad with God. We run from God when things are going well and we're like, okay, God, I got this. I don't need you right now. We run from God because we're afraid of God. We run from God because we don't want to be told what to do. We run from God because we have a sin in our life. And we know that sin is wrong and we know God doesn't want us to do it. But we run because we don't want to change. We run from God because maybe you've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by other Christians. And you say, well, if that's what Christianity is about, then I don't want any part of it. Or maybe we run from God because he doesn't act as quickly as we want him to. And we're like, well, God, I wanted you to do this and you didn't do it. And we confuse life with God and, and we run. And Jonah, this guy that we've been talking about, he's like us. He was a runner. God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, you know, God, I believe in you, but I'm not going to Nineveh. I mean, that's just what he says. Nope, I'm not going. And so, so far in this series, in Jonah chapter 1, this is what we learned. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can't hide from God. Eventually, he's going to catch you. And that's what we learned in Jonah chapter 2. What do you do when God catches you? Well, you call on his name, you repent, and you worship him. And you know, you kind of get to the end of chapter 2 where we were at last week. And it's almost like the story could have ended right there. Jonah ran from what God told him to do. Jonah repented. End of story. I mean, you could have just ended it. Right there, it would have been an appropriate ending. But that's only half the story of the book of Jonah. In fact, the second half that we're going to look at today is really directed at those of us who I would call good people. Morally upright, not lawbreakers. Good family folks, Christians, go to church, do a few things in their community. In fact, today is going to be like one of those days. I don't know if you've ever really noticed like firewood piles and they put them in what they call ricks. And so you go out there and you're getting the firewood off your firewood pile. But you get down to the very bottom, that last row that's been sitting on the ground. And you look at a piece of firewood as you go out about this time of year because you've been using it all winter. And all that's left is that bottom row. And you look at it and it looks good on the outside. And so you pick it up and then you look underneath it. And there's like squiggly things and bugs and insects that you don't know what their names are. And, and long-legged spiders. And it's just like, yuck, yeah. And then, you know, there's like rotten stuff falling off of it. And it's just yucky. It's just ick. 
Well, today, we're going to kind of pick up the local church a little bit. And it looks good sometimes on the outside, but when we look inside of it, it's kind of yuck. And it's kind of eh. And the problem is, the yuck is you. And the yuck in the E is us. And in a nutshell today, the message is that you are good people. And when I say good people, you're doing your best. And yes, you might fall into temptation once in a while, but you're asking God to forgive you. And you are faithful to your spouse. And you are doing your best to raise your kids. And, and you are taking your godly parenting seriously. And you're in church today. And you've got your Bible and you're reading your Bible and you, you're praying and you tell the truth and you pay your taxes. And many of you are surrendered to God's moral and God's personal will for your life. But do you know there are many fine Christian people that have never surrendered to God's purposes for this world? They have never surrendered to God's purposes outside of us. They have never surrendered to what God wants to do in the world. And that was Jonah's problem. And that's where we as a church need to kind of hold up the mirror today. And I think the reason that the church has been marginalized in our culture the reason that the culture, our culture doesn't take us seriously is because they look at us and they say, you're good people and you keep the rules, but we're not convinced that you really care about the rest of us. And so we're not going to take you seriously because we just don't see that in you. And that's the squiggly, the dark, the ugly underside. So we're going to look at Jonah because he's a great example of what I'm talking about this morning. So let's go back to verse 10 where chapter 2 ends. And it says this. So we quit last week. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on to dry land. Can you imagine if you were fishing somewhere when this happened? Or you're just taking a stroll with your wife down the beach hand in hand. And all at once, this big fish appears. And all at once, this man comes tumbling out of it and lands on the beach. Got seaweed on him and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure he doesn't look too attractive after three days in a fish. Well, that's what happens here. I don't know if anybody saw it or not. But this fish burps and this man lands probably somewhere on some soft sand somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe there's a sign or something, Nineveh this way. I don't know. But, like, it would be a good place to end the story, right? Right? Just right there. But there's chapters 3 and there's chapters 4. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So God's speaking to him a second time because the first time Jonah said, No, I'm not going to Nineveh. So verses 2 and 3. God tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. 
took three days to walk through it. So now we don't exactly know when he spit out onto land. Some people speculate he could have been 500 miles away. Some people say probably maybe he was closer. We don't know. But he gets to this city which is in modern day Iraq. And it's hot there. And these people don't recognize Yahweh. They, they don't know God. They don't recognize the law of Moses. They're the enemies of Israel. And he's walking through the street and he's preaching this message, repent, and if you don't repent in, in 40 days, there's going to be judgment. You know, this would kind of be like, I don't know, like you live in Ringgold or Fort Oglethorpe or, or Chickamauga, and some guy you've never heard of just shows up and, and starts preaching, and that you need to repent, and probably you would just blow him off. Oh, this is some kind of weirdo. And I'm sure there are those people in Nineveh that, that probably did that. Who is this, this strange guy? And they didn't take him seriously. But the king took him seriously. And the people began to take him seriously. Skip down to verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. And a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, fasting and putting on sackcloth was a way to say that, that you were sorry, a way to show that you were sorry for your sins. Verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, you know, there's some interesting things taking place at this point in history that would, I think, also contribute to why the Ninevites would have taken Jonah seriously. You know, sometimes you can go to what we call extra-biblical materials, history, things like that. And so when you begin to look, there are some other events that are taking place. First of all, there was a group of countries that had moved. They had kind of banded together to go against the Assyrians. And they had moved within about 100 miles of Nineveh. And so maybe the, the king is seeing this and he's fearing what might happen next. And he realizes, well, this man of God might be here to warn us. There were also two plagues that had hit Nineveh in the last five years preceding this. And maybe they're thinking, oh, no, you know, there's already been two plagues. What he's saying could be true and the judgment might be a third plague. And then we're also told, it's very interesting, that a solar eclipse took place about this time. And you know, the ancient peoples didn't always understand all we understand about astronomy, and sometimes they viewed an event like this as, you know, G with a God with a little G, that there was some kind of judgment, some kind of spooky something happening. And then, think about what Jonah must have looked like. Scientists say that if you were to survive three days in a big fish or a whale, that the stomach juices would just wreak havoc on your body. It would probably mess up your eyes, mess up your hair. It would turn your skin kind of this sickly yellow color. So here's this freaky looking guy with yellow eyes and yellow skin and messed up hair walking down the street and these other events are happening and it gets people's attention. And I'm thinking in my mind, too, at this point, he was probably fearless. You've been in the belly of a fish for three days. 
You've been spit out on land by a fish? Who cares what the Ninevites are going to do to you, right? I mean, at this point, he's fearless. So you put all this together, and the king says, hey, we need to fast. We need to take this guy seriously. Let's pick up midway through verse 8. Let everyone call urgently on God. The king's talking. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And we've talked over and over about their violence, right? I mean, these were people that cut off people's heads and, and then played games, with hockey-like games with human heads. They had mastered killing people in the most painful and cruel ways possible, skinning people alive and those kinds of things. Just known for the brutality. The king says, okay, we got to stop that. And he goes on and he says in verse 9, Who knows? God may yet repent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we're kind of at the end of chapter 3. And for the second time, it seems like a good place to, to end the story. Jonah repents. God forgives. Jonah goes to Nineveh. The Ninevites repent. End of story. Everybody lives happily ever after. It just seems like a good spot. But the story continues. Here's the interesting thing. We find out why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to start with. And it's one of those things, it's kind of odd because it doesn't really make Believers look good. Those that believe in God look good. I mean, it sounds like something I might do, but not the kind of thing that I would do that God would want to use me as an example like he does here with Jonah. And do you know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? We speculated in week one it was because he was afraid of how barbaric and cruel the Ninevites were and they were the enemies and he feared for his life. But that's not really why. He wasn't afraid of personal harm. He was afraid God might do something positive for his enemies, the Ninevites. They were the enemies of Israel and Israel hated them. And we are going to discover that Jonah knew, that, knew what God would do. And that he predicted God's response. And this is where this story just kind of takes this strange turn. And I have to tell you, this is kind of where the mirror comes up. And all of us good people, good Christian people, and I am talking to good people today. I understand that. You're here, you brought your Bible, you brought your family, you sing the songs, you even knew some of the words to them, the trifecta. You're good people. But when this mirror comes up this morning, there's going to be some things that are going to make you a little uncomfortable. Verse 1, chapter 40. But Jonah said, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What seemed wrong? 
What made him angry? You know what made him angry? The fact that the Ninevites had repented. It was, as, it was as if he was saying, God, you have done the wrong thing here, God. These people have sinned. They're our enemies. God, you, you, you shouldn't do this. They deserve to be punished. What are you thinking, God? Verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. I came here to warn these people of your sin, and I know what you're like, and sure enough, you forgave them. That's exactly why I didn't want to go there, why I went to the other direction, because I knew you would do this. And he's angry about it. Doesn't this sound like something that would happen more in the New Testament than the Old Testament? You know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament and it's like, you know, it seems like God just judges and punishes all the time. And then you get to the New Testament and he's like this grandfather, smiling, forgiven type. And there are people that, that kind of believe that. But the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament is the same God. And the God of the Old Testament wants to forgive just like the God of the New Testament forgives. And that's what Jonah understood about mine and your heavenly father. Look at the second part of verse 2. I knew... That you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, I knew this is what you were going to do. I'm an Old Testament prophet. I knew you were a God that abounded in love and grace, who doesn't want to punish anybody unless he has to, that your circle of grace is huge, that it's hard to get out of that circle. I knew the Ninevites were wicked. I knew they were an enemy of Israel. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And you gave them the opportunity to get forgiveness. And he's saying, God, I'm mad at you because you didn't punish them the way I think they ought to be punished. And if you have ever wondered about God's love for you, this is one of the verses in the Bible to remember. If you've ever wondered if you can get out of God's love for you, get out of the sphere of his grace, you can. And this verse tells us that. But Jonah doesn't rejoice. He gets angry. Verse 3, look how angry he is. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's problem was this. He had surrendered to the law of God but not to the purposes of God. Jonah was surrendered to God's will for his life, God's moral will of right and wrong. He was surrendered to obedience at this point, maybe not in chapter one. He was surrendered to the, to the Ten Commandments, but he never surrendered to what God wanted to do in the white and the rest of the world. He had never raised the white flag and surrendered for God's purposes in the world. He never made himself available to what God wanted to accomplish in the world. Consequently, he becomes judgmental. You know how you become judgmental? You become judgmental 
by being a very good person who never surrenders to what God wants to accomplish and people who are not as good as you are according to your standard. You become judgmental by being a very good person who doesn't have compassion, who aren't as good as you according to your standard. You become a good person and you forget that you what you ultimately deserve and you forget that God's love and God's grace is showered on you every day just as much as he showers it on anybody else. And you forget that. And consequently, you become so good, better than others, that you forget to care about them. And the reason the culture looks at the church, I'm talking not just our church, church, universal church, and they are partially right, and they say, who needs the church? They are judgmental. They just want to make me feel bad about myself. Who needs the church? Who needs Christianity? Why would they want to feel that way? Where do they get that idea? Because they've been in contact with churches who are really good at being good but forget about the character of God. Forget why God sent his son to start with. They forget or never knew what Jonah knew, that God is great and that he is compassionate and he is slow to anger and he is abounding in love and that when people repent, he is faithful and just to forgive them and he'll accept those that turn to him. And the danger of being a good person, a moral person, the danger of being a good church person, the danger of keeping the Ten Commandments, the danger in all that is we become so self-absorbed, all of us in our faith, that our faith just becomes about us and we forget God's purposes for the rest of the world. We can be completely 100% surrendered to God's personal will for your life, to his moral will, but completely forget about God's purposes in the world. And you set yourself up to be judgmental, and you are part of the problem. And you become like Jonah, and you can be an obstacle to the grace and love of God in this world. Just as we have surrendered to be good and obedient, have you ever surrendered to God's purposes in this world? Are you available to be an extension of God's love, God's compassion in this world? At home, at work, at school, are you available to be that extension, to take your skills and your resources and intersect just as you surrendered to be obedient in the moral will of God have you ever surrendered to the purposes of God in the world so that your life can intersect with God's purposes folks God's love and God's grace are just about irresistible when the world can see it 
when the world can see that about God. But when they see us as these condemning, judgmental people, it doesn't work. And they say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. that. And the minute we are content with just being good and just being good church people, like Jonah, we forget God's purposes in the world, and we become obstacles, barriers. Let's go on and look at verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, hello? Is it right for you to be mad at me, Jonah? Was it just not a little bit ago that you needed my forgiveness? Was it not just a little bit ago that you needed me to not be angry with you? Was it just a little while ago that you were on the outs with me? Was it just a little bit ago you needed me to be slow to anger? Jonah, you of all people ought to understand this, that I would extend my grace to undeserving people. And you know what Jonah says? He doesn't answer the question. He goes up on a hill overlooking Nineveh. I guess he's just sitting there. Waiting to see what God's going to do. Now, this is modern-day Iraq. It's very hot. My son was stationed in Qatar for a while, and he said 120, 130 degrees every day, which is pretty normal. So it's hot. So God creates this, this leafy, shady plant. Most people think it was a gourd. It's got great shade. And Jonah's very happy about this plant, the Bible says. But the next day, God creates a worm, and it chews the plant up, and it dies. And obviously, there was no Holcombs to go to to get some pesticide or something to kill, to kill the worm. But guess what? The plant dies, and Jonah's mad all over again. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So it's typical in this part of the world, as I mentioned, the temperature can shoot up 20, 30 degrees just like that. So it's hot. And then this wind kicks up. You know, growing up in West Texas, pretty much from about May to about September, 100 degrees is just about the high, just about every day above it, somewhere in that, that neighborhood. And it's a dry heat. People remind me that all the time, like somehow it makes a big difference. Hot is hot. But uh, so it's this dry heat. It's so like you walk outside or you open your car door after you've gone somewhere. And it's just like this blast that you feel when you open an oven door. I mean, just this blast of hot air hits you. And that's what I kind of envision here for Jonah. I mean, just this, this east wind, it's just this blast of hot air like, like I experienced in West Texas or like you experience when you open that, that oven door. So he's just blasted with this, this hot air. And he's sweating, and he's miserable, and he's mad, and he wishes that he could die. And this is where the mirror kind of gets front and center for us good Christian people. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about this plan? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. I'm ticked off about this plant dying. My primary concern, he's saying, is I don't have any shade. 
That's his primary concern. I'm ticked off about this. Verse 10. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. God said, you're concerned about this gourd, yet you had nothing to do with his existence. Verse 11. And should I not have concern, that means pity, feel sorry for, for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. It's kind of abrupt, isn't it? I mean, this isn't the way your English teacher taught you to conclude stories, is it? I mean, he's like, wait, 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 it just ends. Jonah said, God said, Jonah said, God said. That's all, folks. It just ends. I mean, now what? Can we all go home? Thought about just dropping the mic, walking off stage. <laughs> Lights go down, get the music playing. But I'm afraid we might not get the point, even though it's kind of obvious here. Jonah, you're a good man. But you're concerned about the wrong stuff. You're a prophet. Jesus mentions your name. There's going to be a book named after you. You're a good man. But Jonah, your concerns don't reflect my concerns. You are about the wrong stuff. Jonah, I don't know what you're concerned about, but I'm concerned about the generation of the Ninevites. Jonah, what are you concerned about? The Lord. Me, it's hot. Was it my idea to come here anyway? Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of Ninevites. What are you concerned about? Me, I'm hot. I'm a Jewish man a long way from home. I don't even know how I'm going to get home. Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of Ninevites. What are you concerned about? Jonah. Hey, Dennis, what are you concerned about? Well, God, I have been freezing my tail off for my son's soccer games this time of year. It is so cold. God, do you know how cold it is when I get on that bicycle in January and February? It is freezing cold. God, you know, a few years ago, we didn't get any rain. My yard looked terrible. Now we get all this rain, and my yard looks terrible. Dennis, I'm concerned about this generation of people. About you. God says, I'm concerned about the people we work with. The lady that everybody talks about but no one talks to. God says, I'm concerned about the people in your neighborhood. I'm concerned about that person you hate the most. I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned about your mother-in-law. I know you're concerned too, but I'm concerned in different ways than you are. I'm concerned about this generation of teenagers. And I'm concerned about this generation of children. And I'm concerned about single parents. And I'm concerned about people who have walked away from church. And I'm concerned about the people that are going through divorces. And I'm concerned about hurting people. And I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? Me. The Lord, blah, blah, blah. Let me 
me ask it this way. Who do you get angry about? What makes you angry? Jonah got angry about a gourd. You know what I get angry about? I'm going to be transparent. Honestly, you know what I get angry about? When I don't get my way. I get angry when I don't get my way, when things don't go my way. What about you? Now let me tell you something else this morning. There are people, whether you're in this service, the next service, the B3 service, that totally get this. You are surrounded by people that totally get God's purposes in this world. Totally get it. The reason that, that your children are well taken care of, your grandchildren are well taken care of, is because there are people back there right now that totally get that. The reason that we have these wonderful buildings to sit in and use is because there are people that totally get that. The reason that there will be dozens of youth workers in a few weeks for discipleship now is because there are people that get that. The reason there will be hundreds of, over 100 adults this summer for Vacation Bible School is because there are people that get this. The reason there are over 100 workers volunteering everywhere this morning, cafes, music, sound, video, safety teams, parking lots, is because there are people that totally get this. The reason there are people that show up here on Monday nights and take food to, to ICUs and ladies that show up on other Monday nights and do mission projects is because you are surrounded by people that get this. So many of you get this. So many of you understand God's purposes about this generation. And you take your time, which is your most valuable asset, and your skills and your resources, and you allow them to intersect with this world. Which means you understand what it means to surrender for God's purposes in this world and allow God to use you. And you know what? It makes a difference. And people are drawn to the local church not because of some great theology or because that, that you're able to answer all their difficult, hard questions about the Bible. But they are drawn because they see God's love and compassion in you. And that you're concerned about the things that God's concerned about. And that's why Burning Bush Baptist Church and other churches like us make a difference in our country. You understand what Jonah didn't. You won't have the sin of Jonah when you die and get to heaven. But there are other people who don't understand that. God, please protect my family. Help the worship minister to play the songs that I like today. Please help my child to get a Sunday school teacher he likes. Please keep my, my son off of drugs. Please make sure my, my daughter doesn't get pregnant before she gets out of... <coughs> Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Bless me in Jesus' name because it's all about you, God. Many of, of you have gone past that. And you've gone past the moral will of God. And you do the unusual. And you do the extraordinary things. good Christian people but it's all about you. Let me be fair. You're grateful. You're thankful for this church. You are glad that people volunteer to work with the kids and the teenagers. You are glad that people made sacrifices for this building. At times you feel compassionate 
You hear a story like we shared a few weeks ago, and you see that picture of the Sudanese girl that's starving to death and the vulture and the fact that she was left there, but you don't do anything about it. In any given month, little of your time, resources, and assets are intersecting with God's purposes. You're a good person, but you never surrender to God's purposes in the world. And if everyone was like you, the church would have zero impact on the world. You never said, God, all that I am and all that I have is yours to impact the world. Why is that? Too busy. That's for someone else. Why is it that every time you have the opportunity to use your resources, your assets, your skills? Why is it every time you have a chance to make a difference, you talk yourself out of it? You listen to the pleas, you look at the website, you see the brochure, you hear the story, and then you talk yourself out of it. Why do you keep doing that? See, Dennis, you sound like you're busting my chops this morning. I am. Because you're part of the problem. But you can also be part of the solution. You have the chance to make our church, the church in America, in Jesus Christ, front and center, not marginalized. And it's not going to be because we pass a bunch of laws or something, or we march in the streets. I don't know, maybe that's part of it. I'm not smart enough to know that. But there's going to be more to it than that. You have to repent of the sin of Joah. That sin being my religion is about me and I'm a good person, but I've never surrendered to God's purposes in this world. So how do we end this morning? I don't want you to walk out of here and go, boy, I needed that. Or boy, I know about 10 people that needed that this morning. So-and-so and so-and-so, they needed to hear that. And this person wanted to hear and I hope they get the podcast and listen to it. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to do something. What? I don't know. That's between you and God. But I bet even as you're hearing this sermon this morning, God's been speaking to you because there are all these opportunities that you've said no to before, and God's kind of reminding you of those. So I'm going to end this morning with some lyrics to a song, and we're going to sing it here in just a moment. Listen to this. Most of you have heard it. God is mighty to save. Everyone needs compassion. A love that's never failing. Isn't that true? Everybody. But let mercy fall on me. Well, everyone needs forgiveness. That's also very true. The kindness of a Savior. The hope of all nations. And down at the end it says, it's talking about us. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures and fill my life again and give my life to follow everything I believe in and now I surrender. That's surrendering not just to the moral will but for God's purposes in this world. Folks, I just feel like God is calling us to more than we are doing. To 
more than just coming a little and giving a little and volunteering a little and serving a little. There's just, there's just so much more. And this is just not about volunteering in the church. We can show God's irresistible grace all over this community. Mentor a child at school through the mentoring programs. Go help a child learn to read. I guarantee you the schools would love to have you. We get calls all the time at the church with people that have building housing needs. You know, their four bathroom floors rotting out. They need a wheelchair ramp. Help a child learn to read. Christ Chapel is begging for people to come over there and just help them put up stuff and stop food and those kind of things. Big brother programs, big sister programs, abuse shelters. I mean, there's all kinds of places where you can get involved and show God's grace and God's love and God's compassion. And there's so much potential, but it's not going to come from me and it's not going to come from a sermon. It comes from a group of people who come together and say, yes, we live good moral lives. Check. But we're not stopping there. And if you're doing all this, great. I hope you feel good about yourself today. And then some of you, God, you're talking to me this morning. And, and, and you need to act on that. I mean, look at what happened to the Ninevites and how that city changed. I have conversations with people all the time about our, our nation's terrible. Our nation's in a mess. Maybe that's the better word. What, what's wrong with our country? Well, they're like the Ninevites. And you know what's not going to fix it? Sitting on our hands and talking about it. That's not doing anything. Get out in the community. Show God's grace and God's love because it's just about irresistible. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing that song. And I hope you'll sing it like an anthem. Not like a song, but like an anthem that's who you are. Let's pray.